0: Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. All right, open your Bibles, please, to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah. Have you ever been in a situation where someone has called you to, to give bad news to somebody? you had to be the messenger of bad news to somebody. That's not a lot of fun, is it? We generally don't like to be the bearer of bad news. It's a good way to become unpopular. It's a good way to get people not to like you, to be the person who comes. I'm kind of a person who, I don't even like it when somebody asks me to go wake somebody up. You know, you know, you're the one that's going to be knocking on the door and bringing them up out of a slumber. You're the bearer of bad news, you know, time to get up. I, I don't like to do that because I know the feeling I have when I get woken up, and it's not a good feeling. And many of us share this concern. It's hard to be a person who has to bring bad news. Well, that constitutes a lot of what the prophets in the Old Testament were called to do. They were people who were called by God to go to large groups of people and to proclaim to them bad news, to reveal to them their sin and to challenge them in their spiritual life. And we here in this sermon series called Root 66, where we are going through the Bible, one Bible book at a time, one sermon per Bible book. We started in Genesis, going all the way through Revelation, and we have reached the prophetic books in the Old Testament. We just finished with the wisdom books and now we're in the prophetic books. And um, we have a lot of work to do going through the prophetic books because there are 17 prophetic books and they are divided up into two categories, major and minor prophets. The major prophets are simply the prophetic books that are quite long. Minor prophets are shorter. That's really all the major, minor distinction has to do with, but there are 17 of them total. And so for the next 17 Sundays, at least as I'm in the pulpit, we will be looking at each of these prophets. So what is a prophet? What does he do? What is his responsibility? The answer to that is, is simply this. A prophet is a guy who is called by God to come into God's presence and listen very carefully to what God says and then to take what God says and speak them to the people. That's what a prophet does. He's a mouthpiece for God. He's one who speaks on God's behalf. And very often, the prophets are called to deliver bad news. Now, that's not always the case. Actually, the prophets sometimes deliver good news and inspiring news. And in fact, that's what we're going to find in Isaiah today. Isaiah happens to be one of the favorite of the prophets because there is so much encouraging, inspiring news in the book of Isaiah. But as we get deeper into the prophets, we're going to find that there are some pretty difficult texts for us to cover. So a prophet is one who listens to God and then speaks to people what he has heard. Um, A prophet is also sometimes somebody who sees something that's going to happen in the future, and so he announces something. He foresees. God gives this person a certain kind of vision and sight into the future, and so the prophet is able to tell people what's going to happen. But more often than not, what the prophet is doing is calling people back to what has already been given to them, calling people back to faithfulness to what Moses has said. So if you think about the apostles in the New Testament, the apostles are kind of explaining and teaching what Jesus said the prophets in the Old Testament are explaining and teaching what Moses said. That was what they were very often doing, seeing the people strain from their obedience to God's word and calling them back through admonishment and rebuke. Bad news. And that's why the prophets very often were not very popular. The prophets often were hated. The prophets were often killed. And in fact, as we look at the book of Isaiah today, Isaiah, according to tradition, was sawn in half because people got so tired of hearing the bad news that he was bringing. Died for the message that God gave him to share. But this is where we're beginning today in the prophets. So 17 prophets beginning with Isaiah. Um, Isaiah here, I've shown you this before. This is a um, list of the kings of Israel and Judah. Um, we looked at this when we were in 1 and 2 Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles. Um, but you'll notice here the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. You might recall that Israel was split up into two rival nations. And so um, on the left here are the list of the kings of Israel, which was the northern kingdom. And in the right column is the list of the kings of Judah, the southern kingdom. And so these are the last kings here. And after these kings ruled, um, Israel and Judah went into exile. And so if you look here, you'll see um, right here, Uzziah down to Hezekiah. These four kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, these are the kings that... Isaiah spoke to. It was during the time of the reign of these four kings that Isaiah was sent to speak to the nation of Judah. You'll see that in chapter 1, verse 1, very clear, so we know when Isaiah uh, spoke. Some other background information about Isaiah. We do know that this book was written by Isaiah. There has been some... um, challenge to that but we believe it's pretty safe bet to say that isaiah wrote the whole book 740 to 681 bc about the time that isaiah lived and wrote themes in the book of isaiah god's sovereignty his judgment his grace much about god's just basic attributes significant events in the book of isaiah the virgin birth the prophecy of the virgin birth that is um Hezekiah's prayer. We have some information about his reign and his prayer for additional life, which God granted to him. The suffering servant passage in chapter 53, very important for our understanding of Jesus and his work for us on the cross, and much in Isaiah about the coming new heavens and new earth. So there's a lot in Isaiah, 66 chapters. We're just going to be looking at chapter 55 today. Um, Again, not a lot of bad news here in chapter 55. I think you'll like this passage, um, but there have been a lot of difficult things that Isaiah has been charged to give to God's people. So let's read this. Stand if you're able. Chapter 55, there is a white paperback Bible nearby. If you don't have a Bible with you, this passage would be on chapter, uh, excuse me, page 357 of the white paperback Bibles. Isaiah is kind of a complicated book. It addresses different periods of time, and we believe that Isaiah here was given a vision of what to say to the nation of Judah when they were in exile. So they're discouraged, they're defeated, they're weighted down in bondage. And so God gives to Isaiah these words to say. Chapter 55, verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. My steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you did not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Oh God, we pray that you'd open our hearts and minds to behold wonderful things in your word now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. So the prophet Isaiah here is uh, saying a number of things, and we're going to look at three things that are very clear and specific that come from the prophet Isaiah. First of all, there's an invitation, the prophet's invitation. An invitation to what, you would say? Well, let's look and see this here. Verse 1, we see that there is an invitation given through the prophet to come and partake of a delightful feast. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, he who has no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Look at the end of verse 2. Delight yourselves in rich food. Here's the open invitation. Come, there's this lavish meal, and we want you to come and partake of it. There's symbolism attached to some of these words here, um, buying wine. Wine is a symbol in the Bible of joy and celebration, and milk is a symbol of, of nourishment and strength, and water is a symbol of life and refreshment and purity. And so this invitation is given to anybody who is looking for joy and celebration, anybody who's looking to have his or her soul nourished, anybody who's looking for cleansing and for life, come to this place. Now what is Isaiah talking about here? Is is this literally like an invitation to go to Isaiah's house for dinner one night so that he can serve you a nice meal, wine, milk, and, and water? Well, we want to read the entire Bible together, and as we look forward into the New Testament, we get some clues about what this is talking about. So for instance, John chapter 7, here's Jesus' words. It says this, on the last day of the Passover feast, the great day, Jesus stands up before the crowds and he cries out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, Jesus was very well acquainted with the Old Testament, knew Isaiah 55 very well. You know that Jesus had Isaiah 55 in mind when he said this. Jesus is taking Isaiah's prophecy into his mouth, and he's saying, I am the one who provides the water that you are longing to taste. I am the one who can satisfy your spiritual thirst, so come to me. We see it again in Revelation 22. This was our call to worship from this morning. Let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Again, John here in the writer of Revelation, thinking of Isaiah 55, and there is this invitation come and drink. What we see here that's going on here in Isaiah 55 what what, what is this? It's, it's, It's an evangelistic plea. It's a free and open offer to all people to come and believe in Jesus. That's what this is. It's Isaiah saying, believe in Jesus and be saved and be satisfied. This is evangelism 101 here from Isaiah. Open invitation to have your thirsty souls satisfied. Remember what St. Augustine said Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Him, in God. That's what it is to be thirsty, to have a restless heart, and the invitation is given. So that's what the invitation is about. But how much does it cost to come to this meal? This is a a pretty lavish meal, as we've seen. It's delightful, rich food there's wine involved wine can be expensive maybe this is going to cost you some money if you respond to this invitation is that the case no because this is a meal that's free free of charge you see that in verse one very clearly it's for the one who has no money come buy and eat come buy wine and milk without money and without price This is actually an invitation to a meal for people who have nothing to offer, nothing with which they can pay or purchase the meal that's being offered to them. And as we think about the gospel, as we think about what the New Testament tells us, don't we see over and over again, what does it say? The wages of sin is death, but what? The free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. The gospel is free. By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. There's no requirement for you to purchase what is being offered in the gospel. How much does this cost? Nothing. It doesn't cost you anything. It costs Jesus a great deal. If you go back to Isaiah 53, you can read that. and It talks in great detail about the sufferings of Jesus and what he did to pay the penalty to purchase this invitation to this meal that's how much it costs nothing to you everything to jesus but for whom now is this invitation extended and the answer to that again is in verse one everyone come everyone i mean that's just a beautiful phrase isn't it come everyone i mean our doors are open to whomever wants to come we went to a a neighborhood meal yesterday. These neighbors put on this um, uh, cookout, and they went around to the entire neighborhood and put little invitations on mailboxes and invited everyone in the neighborhood, not just the people that they knew, not just the people that they were comfortable with, everyone. They had no idea who was going to come, people they might not get along with, people who were strange to them, but they opened it up. And that's. What is being invited here? Everyone, but there is a slight clarification here, right? It's everyone who thirsts. Everyone who thirsts. Everyone who has been seeking for fulfillment. Verse 2 talks about those who have labored for that which does not satisfy. Those who have spent their money on that which is not bread. Those who have been giving their lives in trying to find some satisfaction and finding everything wanting. That's what it is to be thirsty, and those are the ones who were invited to this meal. You you know about Steve Jobs, CEO and co-founder of of Apple, a man who had everything you would think that anybody could want. He was famous. He was rich. He had a great reputation in the world, and yet in his biography, he wrote this, or he said this. I'm about 50-50 on believing in God, For most of my life, I've felt that there must be more to our existence than meets the eye. Now, that's a significant statement for somebody who has everything. Of course, he passed away a few years ago. But Steve Jobs is saying, I've got all these things. I'm famous. I'm brilliant. I have changed the world. And yet I'm still thirsty. There's got to be something more to this. It can't just be working and making a living and going through my day-to-day activities and then dying and it's all over. This is a man thirsting for something more. And this is what the invitation is for, for those who thirst. Are you thirsty today? Are you thirsty after something more? Is your soul hungering for something more than what has been going on in your life day to day? The money you're making, the house you live in, the car you drive? You you, you like it, you enjoy it, but there's something more. Your soul wants something more. This invitation is for you. Now, we see here is a prevalent theme that goes through the book of Isaiah. And it is that this invitation is offered to not just people on the in crowd, but to the nations. And so if you skip down here, verses 3, 4, and 5... He talks about his steadfast love, sure love to David. And he says in verse 4 that he made David a witness to the peoples and a leader and commander for the peoples. And then verse 5, look, he says, You shall call a nation that you did not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you. And so what Isaiah is saying here is that there are nations of people who are outside the nation of Israel who know nothing about God's promises But what God's desire is, is that those nations would hear about this invitation to come to the feast. All throughout Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6 in particular, the prophet reminds God's people, you are called to be a light to the nations. You don't exist just for yourself. You are on mission, people of God. That's what... um, Michael Goheen says, God's mission involves God's people living in God's way in the sight of the nations, in the sight of the world, in the sight of Muncie, in Yorktown, in the state of Indiana, in the United States. That's what we are called to do. And so this invitation, it is an invitation for you. There's a call to you, New Life, to come, if you haven't, to come to Jesus, but there's also a call to us as God's people to be active in extending that invitation to our community, to be a light to the nations. Do you, are, are you in the habit of inviting people to this feast? That, is that part of your life? Do you extend that invitation? Do you invite people to come? Do you tell them that there is a satisfaction for their souls in the gospel? There are two opportunities coming up here in the life of our church where you can participate in this. One is Kids in the Meadow, which is starting tomorrow night. And Kids in the Meadow is a ministry of ours where we go into the community. We go over to tomorrow's Meadow, we bring our children, we invite the community, we invite families, many people who aren't part of a church, we teach them the gospel, we feed them a meal, We sing songs together in an attempt to be a light to Yorktown. All through the month of June, every Monday in the month of June, 545 to 745, you're all invited to come. You should come. And in fact, some volunteer leaders are needed. Jessica tells me a craft leader is still needed. Uh, Also some uh, group leaders and group helpers. So if you're interested in helping, talk talk to me or talk to Jessica. She was up front here and led the children out. But that's tomorrow night, 545 to 745, a great opportunity for us to be a light to your town. The second thing is Christianity Explored, which you've heard a couple times. And again, that starts Friday night. And it's um, a, a way for people to ask their questions about the gospel and to get those questions answered. It's just a safe place for people to bring their questions and learn about the book of Mark. And you might be interested in that. And if you are, you should come. But let me challenge you this way also. You probably know people in your life, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. You've had some conversations with them about the gospel. And you don't really know what to say. You don't know really how to answer those questions. Invite them to come. You're kind of off the hook, I guess, in that way. Let Christianity Explored answer those questions. (laughs) Tell people about it this Friday night, 630 here at the church two great ways for us to extend this gospel invitation to our community okay second thing second thing the prophet says there's a pro, there's a command from the prophet there's a command you know this is the time of year when we get wedding invitations right <laughs> over june july and august you get invited to the wedding but here's one thing the bride and groom always want you to do if you receive their wedding invitation is they want you to respond they want to know if you're coming or not and that's kind of the same thing here an invitation has been extended but isaiah also gives a command and the command is respond to that invitation so look what he says in verse six verse six seek the lord while he may be found call upon him while he is near Romans 10 says, whoever calls on the Lord will be saved. You don't become a Christian simply by hearing the invitation. There's a call to respond. It's like, what are you going to do with that invitation? And Isaiah says, seek him. Now, there's a qualifier here also. Look, it's seek while he may be found. Call while he is near. The implication there is that there might come a day where he can't be found there might come a day when he's not near. There might come a day when you pass out of his life unexpectedly and the opportunity to respond is over. And so the prophet says, seek and call on him now while you have a chance. That's the emphasis here. Don't put it off, Don't have this attitude that, well, I'll have my fun for the next 10 or 20 years, and then when I'm old, I'll come and believe the gospel. Don't presume upon that. Come now. Seek him now. But then there's another command here. Not just to seek him now, but there is a command in verse 7 to repent. Look what it says. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. The word repent is not used here, but that's what this is describing. Turning from false, uh, uh, forsaking your ways and then returning to the Lord. The best way to describe repentance is it's like a U-turn. You're going in one direction. You realize that this is the wrong direction. And so you turn around and you walk in the other direction. Many of you have taken a U-turn on a highway. You're on I-69 going north. You missed your exit. You turn around and you go back the opposite direction. That's, that's repentance. And that's what's being issued here. This is what Isaiah is saying. This is the way you respond to the gracious, open, free invitation of the gospel. Seek him and Repent repent of your sin. Well, what does that look like? Well, it's something like this to be as simple as possible. In your heart, you're saying to yourself, I will never forgive that person for what he did to me. And you say, I can't do that because the grace of the gospel has been extended to me. So yes, I will forgive that person for what he did to me. That's repentance. You're saying, I don't Need the church. I can live the Christian life by myself. I have no interest in the church. But then you realize the centrality that the church has in the Christian life. And so you say to yourself, I will go to church now. I will make it a habit to worship with God's people. You say to yourself, I like watching pornography and I enjoy it and I'm going to keep doing it. But then the Spirit of God reaches you. The invitation to the gospel comes to you. It seems beautiful to you. You want your sins forgiven, and so you repent, and you say, I will not now watch pornography. Now, does that mean it's just like a snap of the fingers and you're done with the problem? No. No. Repentance can be a daily activity, but there's a decision, there's a willful intent to turn from sin. I love to criticize and tear down other people, but that is displeasing to God. So now I put forth the effort to not criticize and tear down people. I'm turning around and I'm going in the other direction. I'm forsaking that way. So what happens when a person repents? Well, look at verse seven. It's very clear. It's wonderful. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon, not just merely pardon, he will abundantly pardon, he will lavish you with forgiveness. There is more mercy than you can imagine, as we just sang a moment ago. His mercy is more for the person who receives the invitation by faith and repents abundant pardon is there for you. Now, some of you might be thinking, wait a minute, I thought you guys always tell us that we're not saved by our works, we're not saved by anything we do, we just believe, that's all we have to do is just believe. Now you're saying i got to repent too? Yeah, I am saying you have to repent too, but not because your repentance pays for your salvation. Only the blood of Jesus, only his death on the cross, only his resurrection from the dead is sufficient to pay for your sins. But repentance always accompanies the person who has truly come to faith in Jesus. That they come together. Here our catechism or our confession just speaks, this is one of the wonderful values of a confession because it helps put things in clear perspective. Although repentance is not any satisfaction for sin and does not cause the forgiveness of sins, since forgiveness is an act of God's voluntary grace in Christ, yet it is necessary to all sinners and no one may expect to be forgiven without it. It's not pain for your sins. But if, but if you haven't repented of any sin in your life, you should not count on your sins being forgiven because they go together. They go together. So Isaiah goes on here, verses eight and nine, and he brings encouragement. Verses seven and eight, they're connected. Do you see at the start of verse eight, there's that word for? What that means is that Isaiah is continuing the thought from verse seven, to our God, for he will abundantly pardon for or, or because and then he says these things that many of us are familiar with my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways as the heavens are higher than the earth my ways are higher than your ways my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and and, and you know very often we read this and the common understanding of this is that you know God's ways are inscrutable we, we can't always understand what God is doing and there's a lot of mystery in life and he doesn't owe us an explanation and so we just have to accept it and that's that's true i think that's in part what these verses are saying but i think more specifically because of the connection between verses 7 and 8 what god is really saying here is he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts that is what god is saying is my thoughts are so much higher than your thoughts that i will do the most unbelievable thing that is i will forgive you of sins that you never thought you could be forgiven for that, that, that's what God is saying here it's like you know the way the way you guys work with each other human beings is you hold grudges against each other I mean you want things to be 50 50 I mean if somebody hurts you you want to hurt them there's a limit to your forgiveness human beings sinful human beings as you relate to each other but what God is saying here is no my I don't think that way <laughs> my ways are a lot higher than that I provide abundant pardon to anybody, no matter what they've done, no matter how serious their sin, and no matter how many times they've done it, I offer abundant pardon through a crucified Savior. That's what God is saying here. So to to repent of your sins and receive this invitation, I mean, the, the, the blessing is yours, friends, when you do that, because of the abundant pardon provided in the gospel. One last thing. There's a promise here. The prophet's promise. The prophet's promise. There's two things here. First of all, the power of the word. The power of the word, verses 10 and 11. Isaiah draws this connection between the rain and the snow that come down from heaven. He says just as moisture comes from the sky and goes into the ground and always does something, always nourishes the ground, never is... Neutral in its activity. What Isaiah says is that's just the way it is when my word goes out, verse 11. When the scriptures go forth, they don't return empty. They accomplish what I purpose. They shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The word of God is like moisture in the sense that it always does something. I am preaching to you the Word of God right now. You guys are hearing the Word of God through the prophet Isaiah. And whether you know it or not, God is working in your hearts right now. The Spirit is doing something, something different in every one of you, which is just one of the phenomenal things about preaching. You know, it's just the Word goes forth, and what God is doing in all your hearts, I don't know. But I know He's doing something. If I'm to believe what this verse says, I mean, this is a um, uh, a common encouragement for preachers, because very often preachers, after they preach sermons, they go away and they think, did that make any difference whatsoever? <laughs> did, did that message have any impact on anybody? And the answer is it always has an impact. It's not shown to me. It's not shown to Pastor Brian. It's not shown to anyone who preaches or teaches or reads the Word. We don't see it, but according to this verse, God's doing something. He might be softening your heart right now. You're hearing these things, and your heart is warmed, and you're thinking, this is the truth. This sounds right. I want this. Or it could be in your heart you're thinking, this is nonsense. This is foolishness. And I can't wait till it's over so I can get out of here. But the word's doing something. You're either being softened or you're being hardened. But in any case, the word is effective. It's like Charles Spurgeon said, if you have a lion in a cage, how do you defend that lion? You open the door and let him out, he said. That's what you do. The lion doesn't need to be defended. You just let him out and let him do his own work, and the Word of God is the same way. To the degree that the Word is preached and taught, God is at work. Last thing, or second thing here, uh, of the prophet's promise is the renewal of the earth. I know there's a lot of different topics here that Isaiah is dealing with. This is all in just one chapter, but in these final couple of verses, we see this wonderful Promise, Verse 12, you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills shall break into singing. The trees of the field, they'll clap their hands. Instead of a thorn growing up, cypress. Instead of a briar, up will come myrtle. What in the world is he talking about here? What Isaiah is doing here, he's been giving a vision of a time future to us. A time when Jesus Christ is going to come again and renew not just every single person who trusts in him, but he is going to renew the entire earth. He's going to renew the cosmos. There's going to be a change to our physical existence. You maybe are more familiar with phrases in Isaiah that talk about the the, the lion and the lamb laying down together, right? Even in the analogies, animal kingdom, where there has been hostility and difference, that they're going to be united. They're going to be at peace with each other. There's not going to be thorns anymore. Living on the earth is going to be an enjoyable and happy thing. All evil is going to be purged. All sadness, all groaning, all mourning, it's all going to be removed when Jesus comes again. It's not a future existence of Christians in the clouds, but a future existence for God's people living on a renewed earth for all eternity. That's what Isaiah is seeing here. It's Operation No More Tears, as the Jesus Storybook Bible describes it. Operation No More Tears. That that day is coming, and that's the promise that we see here from from the prophet. You know that song, Imagine, by John Lennon? One of the most popular songs in, in American Western culture And he says, imagine no greed or hunger. Imagine nothing to kill for. Imagine all people living life in peace. And he's inviting us to imagine a state of affairs like that on the earth. People getting along, nobody killing each other, no greed, no hunger, a perfect state of affairs. I mean, could it be that a place like that will actually exist? Yes. (laughs) Absolutely yes. It doesn't exist in John Lennon's atheistic world view, but it does exist in the gospel. The gospel tells us that that absolutely is going to happen in the new heavens and the new earth. All things are gonna be made right, and all of God's people will live in the way that John Lennon imagined. And the question is whether you will be a part of it, will you? Will you be a part of that? I mean, what a beautiful thing to long for. What a beautiful promise from the scriptures about what our future is in Christ. So to all who are thirsty today, friends, if you're, you're thirsting for hope, you're thirsting for peace, you're thirsting for meaning, you're, you're thirsting for justice, you're thirsting for forgiveness, you're thirsting for everlasting joy. Come to the fountain. Come to the living waters that flow from Jesus. Incline your ear to him so that your soul may live. And let us be a people that gladly and boldly proclaims this invitation to all the world. That new life would be a light to Yorktown, a light to the United States, and a light to the world. God in heaven, thank you. Your word does indeed go forth accomplishing what you desire. And Father, I pray that you would use what has been preached to build up these people in love, faith, and hope. And we pray for kids in the meadow. God, this week, bless all of those who are serving. Bring many children and let the gospel go forth on Monday nights in the month of June in Morrow's Meadow as we seek to be a light for your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.